Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of Storytime for Weirdos. This episode is entitled Death of a Portal Jumper, Part 3. Jenny pulled a white silk cloth from her gear bag and picked up the weapon. It was a strange-looking dagger. The metal had an odd sheen even in the gloom of the courtyard. She glanced around, but no one was visible in the courtyard or from the street. Jenny hurried back into her lobby and into the safety of her apartment. She was good at wards, and the ones protecting her home were strong, even by expert standards, but she still slept poorly. The morning light did nothing to illuminate her situation. Could the dagger be a warning, or was it an accident or random crime? If someone was trying to scare her, it both made her heart race and steadied her resolve. Over breakfast, she decided to bring the dagger to the detectives. They could help think it through. In her mind, she tried to imagine the questions they would ask. The time of night, where the dagger came from, where it landed. That was when she realized she'd never read the resonance on it. Jenny immediately gathered her implements and cast a simple spell to read the resonance. The dagger glowed with a pale green aura cut with fine violet cracks. She didn't need to consult her field guide. The green was identical to the one from the portal in Derek Summer's bedroom. The dagger was from Nimmerish. The marbling was typical. It indicated by whom and for what the weapon was used. However, it was rare that it was a consistent color. Purple was associated with death. She shivered before carefully documenting the aura in her notebook with colored pencils. She surveyed her work and compared it to the fading aura around the dagger before glancing at the wind-up clock on her wall. It was almost 9 a.m. She rushed around preparing for the day. She took the local B train to the police station in Manhattan. It stopped below ground in the Bronx. Entering the dimly lit subterranean platform gave her pause, but the trip was uneventful. Jenny entered the bustling police station. The officers largely ignored her as she moved amid the desks towards the corkboard in the back. Chukrevsky looked up from his desk as she approached. Nice of you to join us, he said cheerfully. Rosenthal turned from the corkboard. You're here, she stated, matter of fact. Good, we want to interview Derek Jr. and your old professor. Jenny sat at the chair next to Chukrevsky's desk. Something happened, she said. I think it's related. She reached into her bag and pulled out the dagger, wrapped in a white silk cloth. This was thrown at me last night, she said. The detectives shared a look, and questions tumbled out of their mouths. What time? Where? Why didn't you report it immediately? Why do you think it's related? Jenny held up her hands. One at a time, she said. It is from Nimmerish. I read the resonance. It was about 8 p.m. in my courtyard. I didn't know what it was, and I thought it might have been an accident. Chukrevsky eyed her and pulled out a sheet of paper from the desk drawer. Okay, 
Let's do this proper, he said. Your full name? He asked her a series of questions and had her walk him through what happened in the order that it happened. After she answered his questions, he sat back and looked at his notes for a beat. He looked at Rosenthal and jutted his chin in the direction of the dagger. Could be the murder weapon, he said. Rosenthal looked at him and then at Jenny. You seem pretty calm, she said to Jenny. Yeah, Jenny replied. I, I, think, I think this was intended to scare me. Why do you think that? Rosenthal asked. Whoever threw it is from Nimrish or has access to it. They understand magic and knew it wouldn't hurt me. Her voice was steady, analytical. They know I can help in this case and thought a threat like this would scare me off. Did it? Rosenthal asked, staring hard at Jenny. No, she replied. She looked at the dagger and then looked at Rosenthal in the eye. No, it just pissed me off. Chukrevsky barked out a laugh. Good, said Rosenthal. I don't jump to conclusions, but to me your theory makes sense. Let's run prints and see if forensics can match the wounds on Summers with a knife, Chukrevsky said. He wrapped the dagger in a waxed paper bag and walked it across the precinct. Jenny sat in the chair and stared at the corkboard for a while. Rosenthal brought her coffee. The resonance from the dagger indicates that the owner had a strong association with death, Jenny said, almost absently. What's that now? Rosenthal asked. The aura indicates two things, the dimensional origin and any psychic impressions of the owner, Jenny replied. It isn't usually that helpful. People are complex, so the dimensional aura is usually cut with a melange of color. The fact that this aura was dominated by a secondary color is unusual. What do you think it means? Rosenthal asked. I think that weapon is used to kill, Jenny replied, and I think the person who owned it killed a lot with it. In school, we learn to identify these secondary auras. They bring in objects that have strong associations. That class was the last time I saw a secondary aura this consistent. It was associated with a butcher's knife. Rosenthal nodded and said, You know, none of this has ever been tested in court. You're probably going to have to testify as an expert witness. She paused, looked at the corkboard, and continued. We're a long way from that, but I, I thought you should know. Chukrevsky returned, looked at the two of them, and said, We should get going. Junior will be expecting us. The three of them left the precinct on the bicycle stored in former parking spaces in front of it. The road east through Central Park bustled with sheep, goats, and people picking vegetables. As they emerged from the park, they stopped at an intersection. Chukrevsky turned to Rosenthal. How do you want to play this, he asked her. I'll ask the questions, she replied. You watch and listen. If he's a sexist, I'll tap you in. Chukrevsky nodded. You listen with me, he said to Jenny. The three proceeded through the intersection and down the avenue. They turned down a side street and stopped in front of an innocuous white brick apartment building. The doorman waved them in at the sight of their badges. They climbed the stairs to the fourth floor and knocked on the door marked 4E. A muffled voice called out, Hold on a minute. They waited. 
Inside the apartment, they could hear footsteps, the sound of rummaging, and the occasional thump. A disheveled man in a bathrobe opened the door. His eyes were puffy, and he sniffed. You the detectives, he asked. Yes, Rosenthal replied. We just need to ask you a few questions. Come in, he said, gesturing for them to enter. Sorry, it's such a mess. The apartment was packed with knickknacks, books, jewelry, crystals, and figurines. Jenny and the detectives navigated around stacks of items to a couch and chairs with room to sit. You're Derek Summers Jr., Rosenthal asked. That's me, he replied. I'm sorry for your loss, Rosenthal continued. I need to ask you a few questions about your father. The man swallowed, closed his eyes, and nodded. Did your father have any enemies, she asked. Junior's voice shook as he answered. People, people in this world loved him, he said. He used to say that he had bounties on his head in a dozen worlds and a laurel on his head in this one. Can you tell me about the bounties he spoke of, Rosenthal asked. He shook his head. I don't know. It, it seemed like something he would just say, Derek replied. Maybe he was serious. When was the last time you saw your father, Rosenthal asked. Two days ago, he replied, his voice steady now. We had lunch. He told me about a job at the Cityfield Grain Elevator in Queens. He shifted in his seat and stared out the window. Always trying to find me a job. Said I could do anything. How would you describe his demeanor at lunch, Rosenthal asked. How do you mean, Derek asked. Was he distracted or distraught in any way, she answered. No, he seemed fine, Derek said. He talked about the return of Broadway, how his book was going. It was normal. Derek's voice cracked at the end. Rosenthal looked at Chukreski and asked, His book? Oh yeah, Summers replied. He was writing a book about his time portal jumping. Rosenthal's questions continued. Jenny observed Derek Jr. in his disheveled robe, his eyes puffy. He was white, mid-twenties. She couldn't tell if there was a resemblance with his father. Her memory of him was fuzzy. The apartment was a decent-sized one-bedroom. The portion she could see was full of books stacked on the floor, shelves, and furniture. There were various figurines, crystals, and pieces of jewelry strewn about. Her focus was drawn back to the conversation as Derek's voice rose. I love, I loved my father. He took care of me, and I would never do anything— we have to ask these questions, Mr. Summers, Rosenthal interjected. By eliminating you as a suspect, you help us find out who did this. I was I was out with my friends at the Centaur Club. We were there until 4 a.m. A lot of people saw me, he replied. Thank you, Rosenthal said. You've been very helpful. If I may, Chukrevsky asked. Rosenthal nodded to him. Where were you last night, around 8 p.m.? Summers looked puzzled. I heard about Dad around noon. I wasn't much good for the rest of the day. I sent a note to Cynthia. She's out on the farm and ordered food around six. After that, I took a tranquilizer and I went to bed. Jenny, emboldened by Chukrevsky's question, spoke. What are all these books? She glanced at the title. Ancient Art in Mesopotamia, she read aloud. You also appear to have quite the collection, she gestured a figurine on a table next to her. Oh, he said, sitting up straighter. My hobby is magical anachronism. The past holds the key to the fade, you know. 
Certain artifacts from Mesopotamia bear a striking resemblance to artifacts that my dad brought back from various worlds. He trailed off, looking around his apartment. I can read resonance, Jenny said. Are there any artifacts that you would like me to look at for you? You're a believer, he asked, standing up with more energy than he'd shown in the entire interview. I'm open-minded, Jenny replied. Chukrevsky grunted and looked at if he was as if he was going to say something. It will only take a moment, she said to him. Rosenthal tapped his shoulder. They shared a glance, and he nodded to her. Derek Jr. was oblivious to the exchange. He bustled around the apartment, gathering objects, which he deposited on the coffee table in front of Jenny. She retrieved her implements from her bag and cast the spell. The objects on the table had no magical resonance. There's no resonance on these objects, she said, Summers looked disappointed. However, the enchantment could have worn off. This figurine bears a striking resemblance to a spirit anchor from Prosk. I thought so too, Derek replied. Thank you for checking. Chukrevsky coughed. We have another appointment uptown, Rosenthal said. May I use your restroom? Jenny asked. Certainly, Derek replied. Down the hall and to the right. Jenny made her way down the hall, at the end of which was an open door to the bedroom. She popped her head inside the bedroom and glanced around before going right into the bathroom. When she emerged, the detectives were standing at the entrance talking to Summers. We'll reach out if we have more questions, Rosenthal was saying. Ready, Chukrevsky, asked Jenny. Yes, she replied. They left the apartment, walking down the stairs through the lobby and onto the street in silence. Chukrevsky turned to Jenny and asked, What's magical anachronism? It's a mostly debunked theory that the fade happened before, that magic existed in the ancient world, Jenny replied. So you don't believe it, he asked. No, she replied. It is the purview of cranks and dilettantes, but Derek Jr. gave me explicit permission to cast a spell to detect magic resonance in his house. Smart, said Rosenthal. Chukrevsky grunted. See anything, he asked. No, she replied. A portal would have faded by now, she said, but it seems odd that his dad never gave him anything from his jumps. Seems a little too clean, huh? Rosenthal said. We didn't find any evidence of a book being written at the victim's home, did we? She asked. No, replied Chukeski. I'll add finding the publisher to our list. The three of them mounted their bicycles and began riding west back through Central Park. Chukrevsky pulled up beside Jenny. We're heading to Columbia University to see your old teacher, he said. Anything we should know? Rosenthal glanced back at her as they continued riding. He's the foremost expert on portals, Jenny replied. He's the only person that Robert knows that can make one like the one we saw in Summer's apartment. A likely suspect or accomplice, you think? Chukrevsky asked. I don't know. Jenny replied, he's odd, like he grew up real sheltered. They continued their ride up Riverside Drive to 116th Street, back east to Broadway. At the entrance to Columbia's campus, they flashed their badges and Jenny directed them to the theoretical thaumaturgy building. A campus officer was at the entrance, which was unusual. As they climbed the stairs to Professor Jackson's office, it was clear that something was wrong. Sobbing and hushed voices echoed through the 
stairwell and hallway. People, including a uniformed police officer, gathered at the door to Professor Jackson's office. Rosenthal, Jenny, and Chukrevsky pushed through the people. The officer eyed them warily, but nodded at the sight of their badges. Two men stood over a body slumped on the desk. One of them looked up as they entered. Chukrevsky, he said, with surprise. What the hell are you doing here? Jenny peered into the office and gasped. A familiar-looking knife protruded from the back of the body on the desk. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Storytime for Weirdos, a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes posted on the first and third Saturday of every month.